Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and we are just very excited uh, to be joined today by Dr. Jennifer McCormick, uh, the former superintendent of schools uh, for the state of Indiana, and now the senior vice president of EES Analytics, a data analytics um, corporation in Indianapolis. Uh, and it sounds like a great new opportunity for you. So, okay, so welcome Dr. McCormick. Thank you, Deb, appreciate the invite. Oh, that's great. So, okay, um, so first I wanna get right into the legislation that is milling about at the state house. Um, so I, I've been trying to keep up, but oh my gosh, I can't. Uh, yes. So can you fill us in, tell us um, you know, what kind of um, impending disasters are, uh, should we be looking forward to? You know, there are several bills that are moving, you know, we're getting at the point where they're switching chambers. So but they're moving. Probably the biggest problematic bill out there is House Bill 1005. That's the bill that um, is taking a big chunk of what the governor promised in K-12 monies and filtering it and diverting it to privatization whether that be to private schools or to homeschool or to whatever entity comes about that they deem a school. Um, but it's very problematic. So when the governor came out and said, you know, $377 million was around the proposal amount. So I've heard 377, 378, but roughly around that amount. 1005 would take roughly that this is a moving target number, but roughly 150 $160 million of that and filter that to 6% of our students. So that would leave very little money for the rest of the 94% of our schools. So there's a lot of chatter about it, a lot of concern. It's just one more step toward privatization. It would be in the form of an education scholarship account, which is basically a debit card for a family to receive per child. Um, and, and an incredibly uh, a large amount of money with no guardrails. So if you tell me um, you want to use the education scholarship account for your child, the state would issue through a portal a debit card, and you could use that for purposes you deem appropriate as long as they are related to math, science, social studies, language arts, and I believe civics or social studies civics may be in there together. The problem with that is, I mean, some of the other states have tried this and there has been such fraud because I can say, you know what, I'm going to go buy a big screen TV with my voucher and I'm going to show my child Sesame Street and that money just went to the big screen TV and that's pretty much it. And so, but the, there's just very, very little oversight and a lot of opportunity for fraud in addition to diverting a lot of money away from public education. That's one that's getting a lot of attention. There are some other bills that are also getting attention regarding um, doing some interesting things within a district to capture students out of the district, to move them to another district. Um, that's been getting a lot of conversation. Um, some bills here of late come last minute language about um, the sharing of referendum dollars with those charter schools or private schools within a district. So there are just a lot of, you know, this has been a tough, tough legislative session across the board. And, you know, Indiana forever, whether it's the principal association, superintendent, school board association, we, we've really taken the motto, uh, we know they're going to be bad bills, let's try to make them better. And that's not really gotten us very far. 
but we're at the point where the bad bills are really, really bad. And so it's, it's going to be an uphill battle this session. It, it all gloves are off and, and it doesn't look very good for an end result for public education, unfortunately. That is so disappointing. And um, I think we have to talk a little bit about how we got here. Um, this has been going on for many years now under Mitch Daniels as governor, then Mike Pence, um, it was expanded. And I think a lot of people in Indiana don't know that, that Indiana was really at the, the front of this curve nation, nationally. Um, we were one of the first states really uh, working so hard to privatize public education. Yeah, uh, it's been until, going on. Go ahead. It's over a decade now, you're exactly right. Started out with pretty much Mitch Daniels and uh, the house at that time and has continued on. And really you're correct in that, you know, we kind of led the way in choice. But I would also say that Indiana's leading the way in choice that is not without any guardrails to it. So the quality assurance is not there. Some states who have implemented the program that's similar has some type of mechanism to for quality control. And that's not Indiana. We're about free market. We're about parent under the umbrella of parent choice. Um, but really, it's a mechanism to filter money to our most wealthy is what's happened. So really, the voucher programs, ESAs, whatever you want to call them, what has happened is you, you pay attention to our, our families who have at least a $75,000 or above income. They're white. They're suburban. Those are the families that are taking advantage of it. But it's been a lot of years of a very purposeful, including ALEC, which is a political group, yep. Heavy, heavy donors, mainly to our uh, GOP, you know, folks at the at the state house. A lot of monies are flowing in an effort to make sure that the money follows the wealthy. It's not about the money following the child; it's about money following the wealthy. And so, well, and I have to say, there's this feeling of duplicity in the whole um, the whole plan that's been going on. Because I recall, and initially the idea was under Mitch Daniel oh, we're going to do these charter schools and they are going to, they're going to do innovative, brand new, excellent educational approaches. Uh, and, you know, they're going to be charter schools because that's going to free them up from the bureaucracy of public schools. And then we're going to use those new innovations as models for public school. Well, that never happened. <laughs> and then, you know, then it was, we're going to help low-income families have more opportunity to choose a school. Well, and that has really fallen apart. Um, and so it, it, it always feels like there's this kind of duplicity in the whole thing. And I have to say, last year when I was uh, running around the state uh, recruiting Democratic women to run for state legislature, I ran into a young woman who I you know, met, told her what I was doing. She's like, oh, I'm doing that too. And I said, oh, really? That's terrific. And we, uh, we chatted. We thought, wow, maybe we can work together. And she gave me her card. And I went home and looked up this company. Well, and I had to dig pretty deep. But it turned out that she was working for a company that owned charter schools and managed them. And her job was to recruit school board members, people to run for school board who would support charter schools. And it's like, wow, this always just feels a little, you know, unseemly. Yeah, unfortunately, I would say it's it's tough. I, I commend you for trying to rally the troops. And it's going to take, you're not going to change people's ideas. You're not going to, to change their philosophies. You're not going to change the track we're on. You have to change the people. 
And it takes people like you who will go out and try to recruit really great candidates. But unfortunately, I would say Indiana's Democrat Party as a whole, who's typically very public school friendly, is struggling a bit financially and just getting great candidates. And it takes a lot of money to win and to beat what we are up against. I mean, that's the reality of it. But you're right. It takes a lot of people, like I said, like yourself, that'll shake the bushes and try to find great people who can carry the, the message for us. Yeah. And I, I get your message. Um, that is, you know, maybe we can make bills better, uh, but not this year. I mean, this year, they're just too bad. And so to your point, uh, really, the only solution is to get better representatives. Absolutely. Because the theory of making bad bills better, they're still bad. They're just not as bad. And so at the end of the day, we've ended up with a lot of policy and a lot of bad policy. And that's not going, you know, it's unfunded and it's tough on local schools and it's tough on families. So you're exactly right. You got to change the people. Yeah. And I just want to point out one other little thing that felt a little um, shady was this notion that they're public schools, they're public schools. But the fact is many of them are privately owned and are for profit. And so there was this kind of deception, I think, about you know, what these charter schools were gonna be. Yeah, and, I and, and, I, and I just bring all this up because I really feel like people didn't really understand all of the actual underlying uh, plans. You are correct. And I have learned, and I think you're making the point as far as it, people selectively call schools public schools when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. So charters are sometimes public, sometimes not, depending on the bill and what they need to do. So, you know, you are right. The rhetoric around that gets exhausting. It, it is exhausting. I will say that too. So, um, so I want to talk now a little bit about you and your experience as a state superintendent. Um, you are just such a large beacon of light for everyone who cares about public education. I happen to sit on a school board, so you know, so I pay attention to these sorts of things. And I will tell you the very first thing that you learn as a school board member is how complicated the financing is. And it is just unbelievably complicated. Uh, and, and even including something called a complexity uh, component. Which is, mm -hmm. That's the only complexity? No. <laughs> So, um, so you were, you know, you were uh, elected as a Republican uh, state superintendent. And so um, my question is, how soon did you realize that <laughs> this wasn't going to go um, well? Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me that question, like, when was the moment? And I think it was a lot of moments. It didn't take long, though. I went into office very naive. I went into office like you would at the local level as a local superintendent. You didn't care about the politics of people. You, you worried about kids and taking care of educators so they could serve the kids the best they can. And you worried about your community. You worried about the betterment as the whole as a society. And so I really, we opened our doors to Republican, Democrats, and Independent and said, you know, whoever wants to learn about education, you have questions, come in, you want to just chit chat, come in. And that was not well received by my party at the state house. And so I quickly learned that the more you collaborate with across the aisle, that just, it, it, they become um, disengaged or, or, or a little bit upset with with the person doing that. And so it, that didn't take long for me to learn that lesson. You know, a lot of um, conversations happened and it just, it, it, it was very obvious very quickly. And that just wasn't me. I mean, I continued to stay true to, I was there for kids and that meant trying to work with everybody. Um, it was very difficult to do. 
And in the end, I will say, you know, there were times where we would help Democrats with their bills, Republicans with their bills, trying to make the language better, helping them develop better understanding. We had much better luck with the Democrats who would actually come to the table and listen and make adjustments. It was real. Some Republicans did, but I will say those that had the most educational power really had no desire to do that, which made it very, very difficult when you won't listen to practitioners. So it, it, it didn't take me long to realize, like you said, when I came into office, I was a Republican. Since then, I'm no longer affiliated with the Republican Party. Um, it's no secret. I went out on a listening tour with Senator Melton, who's a Democrat, and there was no intention other than to listen to people across the state and quickly um, heard some comments from the GOP leadership where they didn't appreciate that. And I think that's so incredibly important. and try to learn from each other. And it just, Indiana's a tough, tough spot right now regarding politics. We really are. And, uh, and the Democrats, especially, it is just, um, uh, just you know, a parade of horribles. Yeah. Um, uh, every day, I think for, I feel so sorry for those legislators, uh, Democratic legislators who just have to watch this. And, and frankly, as we've seen just recently, you know, really just take abuse. Uh, and that's just, it's just, it's unacceptable. So I want to talk um, too about your new um, activities. You're now on the board of directors of the Indiana Coalition for Public Education, and um, and you were there along with Glenda Ritz and Sue Ellen Reed, and of course um, Victor, whose last name I can't remember, um, who started um, that movement. I remember seeing him speak years ago, and and it's really nice to see that um, he's really developed this into such a you know a high caliber organization. And so tell me about your work on this new organization. Yeah, so I think Vic Smith was the gentleman you're referring to has been instrumental in providing us all with data and the good and the bad and the ugly and just laying it out in a direct manner. Um, I really appreciated him for many, many years. I know probably when I got into the running for office, he wasn't real sure about me, but um, hopefully I, our team proved ourselves since then. But I'm excited to be a part of the ICPE board. It is really just a board of champions for public education. It's really kind of more morphing into also making sure that there's a mechanism to make the ease of understanding legislation and how to contact your legislators. It's also morphed into um, really informing at the local level, the educators on what's, what's going on and what's happening. I would be thrilled. I'm a firm believer. I mean, membership is $25 minimum and it goes up, but I think every educator is being well represented at the state house. I would not say that's true across the board, um, but that is an organization that has done some really great work. And I would hope that people would encourage people to become members. I just, I believe in it. And the work that they're doing is just good work. Many, many volunteer hours, which I too think is incredibly important. That's wonderful. And so, um, and I just wanna also just give you a great big shout out for sticking with it. Oh my gosh, the, you know, the four years um, you endured. I will say probably second only to the um, difficult four years that Glenda Ritz endured <laughs> um, before you. I can't imagine, um, you know, despite having gotten more votes than I think the governor uh, uh, did, uh, Glenda Ritz, you know, was elected and was just, you know, soundly, um, you know, bashed around. Uh, and that was really difficult. And as, um, as we know, now there will be no elected uh, state superintendent of schools. It will be a governor appointment, which is really, you know, just probably not a great idea. 
So what do you foresee now um, for that office? Yeah, it, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, I, I'm proud of the work we did for four years. I, you know, I commend the work of those who came before me. It's a tough job. And I know the job that the now Secretary of Education has walked into, although her, her responsibilities will look different. I had an independent voice. I could develop an independent legislative priority. I could, you know, really champion the way I wanted to champion. I didn't have the governor who was telling me exactly how that would look. And so she does, the new secretary of education does, um, that office is gonna reflect the wishes of the governor. So it'll be interesting to see how the office morphs. A lot of our team stayed on, which I'm thrilled about because they were really, really good people. They may have changed positions a bit, but a lot of them are still there, um, which I think says a lot about our team that we were getting the job done and, and people were responding. Our approach was very different. We were pretty much a support and um, guide. My fear is when you have it be a secretary or a secretary of ed, a non-elected position, regardless of who's in it, that control and command, it becomes very institutionalized. And I will tell you, having been at the local level, superintendent, principal, teacher, that does not go well in Indiana. So I hope, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I'm, you know, paying attention from afar, but I know the job that's there and it's a tough one, but I just appreciate it. I had my own voice. And I, I worry because we've lost that. We don't have a voice in the State Board of Education like other states do. We don't have a voice in the Secretary of Ed like other states do. So there's a lot of power sitting in the executive office right now. Right, and in fact, in other states, the State Board is also elected, right? Yeah, typically you have either the State Board elected or the State Superintendent, um, one of those. So you have the people's voice in that K-12 since we are over half the state budget in most states. Um, but Indiana that gave all the power to the governor's office. And regardless of who's in the position and what part of they are, I would say it's way too much power for one office. Absolutely. Well, and, and even given all of that um, centralized power, um, we see that the governor, you know, he believes in the report that came out that calls for teachers to uh, earn more. I believe he believes in that. Um, and he has suggested that um, in, his, uh, in his public statements. Uh, and yet the, the legislature will not, um, will not acknowledge those recommendations. Yeah, so it really does come down to the legislature, doesn't it? Well, it does. And it comes down to vetoing power. So we'll see. When those bills come through, we'll, we'll, we will see where the governor stands. Right. Although um, they were able to override um, his veto from last year. So um, whoosh, it's mm -hmm. an interesting um, concentration of power, isn't it? Yeah. Amongst, amongst really extremist uh, legislators. So it's just incredible. Okay, so um, so uh, we're almost out of time, but I want to make sure that we clarify again for um, for people who, who want to contact their legislators. Um, the message is so complicated, uh, but it's basically pay teachers more and quit siphoning money off of public school. I mean, is that correct? Yeah, it's it's simple. It's fund our public schools and stop the diverting of money to private entities. And it's that simple, you know, that you need, and you know, from being on a school board, the importance of you've got to have adequate and equitable funding. And to do that in Indiana, it's going to take a pause in that privatization. I don't think there's an appetite for it, but the message, that's the message. Continue to fund us the way we need funded and stop the other. 
Right. And, you know, just um, it, it occurs to me, the, you know, the big scandal of the turned out to be something like $80 million of um, fraudulent um, funding for uh, for some uh, virtual school, I believe. Did that ever get straightened out? Do you know? Um, it's still under from my understanding, obviously not there anymore, but um, it was my understanding it's still under some litigation. So it's moving um, anything that's under, you know, when you're looking at what's happening, it's going to go slow. So it's continue. It's moving. Wow. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, somebody got picked up for some other kind of crime. You'd think it'd be lickety split off to criminal court. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. McCormick. And so I would, I do like to ask um, any parting words of wisdom that you can share. Um, I so appreciate all of your knowledge and all of your experience. Uh, you have just been a really wonderful um, guiding light for education, despite all the other problems. Well, I just want to again, thank you and thank all the educators who are out there and all of the Hoosiers that support our educators and what we're trying to do. Those who are keeping focused on our kids. It's been a very difficult time and some amazing work's going on, but I always leave people with the same three things, continue to work hard and be smart and be amazing. So with that. Well, teachers, if anyone can do that, teachers can. I, there you know, there you I go. think I hope I, I would think I hope that everyone appreciates teachers more this year than ever. Certainly, parents who are trying to do it do it at their homes, I have a new appreciation. So, all right, thank you so much. I hope we'll uh, come back again and we'll talk more. You've got so much uh, so much to share. That's really wonderful. Perfect. Thank so, you so much. All right, take care. Bye.